Join me in the little book of 1 Peter, if you would. 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 19 this morning. Last time we were together, we talked about how this little letter of 1 Peter is kind of like a life jacket. Now, you put on a life jacket when you anticipate being in water that's going to be over your head. All right, so you put a life jacket on, especially if you have children in the boat. You put a life jacket on them. In the event that they might fall in or enter water that's over their head. And you do that, you put a life jacket on so that you have what you need when you enter the deep water. And the little letter of First Peter is like a life jacket. Right? It's intended, God has given us this little book to prepare you, to equip me, to help us as God's people for when we enter the deep waters of suffering. And so the little book of First Peter is like a life jacket. There's principles and truths in these, in these pages, in, in these five chapters that God wants you to put on so that you have what you need to stay afloat when you enter the deep water, specifically the deep water of suffering. And the little book of 1 Peter is written to Christians in the first century who live in the Roman Empire who are experiencing intense suffering. They're like treading water in suffering right now. Some historians believe that the Roman emperor at the time, who was Nero, some historians believe that he would find Christians, he would cover them in tar, put them on a wooden stake, and light them on fire to burn at night so he could light up and see his personal garden. And we've shared this before in past weeks, but Nero also blamed Christians for a fire that devastated the city of Rome, which left a lot of the People who lived in Rome, angry at Christians. He blamed Christians. And so he, the people who lived in the city of Rome obviously blamed Christians as well. And, but there was no proof that the Christians actually started the fire. And so if you were living in the first century Roman Empire, often you would be forced out of your home. You might even be thrown in prison simply because you followed Jesus and his teachings. And so when you gathered with your house church, if you lived in the first century Roman Empire and you gathered with your house church, you would be desperate for a life jacket because you've been treading water, the deep water of suffering for weeks, months, even years. And so when you gathered with your house church, you'd be like, I, I'm desperate to know how to respond to this suffering. And that's why I believe God had Peter write this letter to not only prepare his people then for the deep water of suffering, but to prepare you and to prepare me for us to know how do you keep moving forward for Jesus when you're suffering because of him? That's the question the little book of 1 Peter answers. How do you keep moving forward for Jesus when you're suffering because of him? And so we're working our way through this letter and we're finding ourselves this morning in chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. So I want to read these together, and then I'll read these, and then we'll kind of unpack what Peter's trying to say here. He writes, Beloved, 
Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So we're continuing to answer this question, or Peter's answering this question. How do you keep moving forward for Jesus when you're suffering because of him? And what he says here, the very first word in verse 12 is what? What is it? Beloved. He calls these Christians beloved. That's the same word the Father cried out from heaven after his son Jesus was baptized, and he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It has the idea, this word beloved, it's an unconditional love. This is not a love that's dictated or determined by your choices or what you do or don't do. This is God saying, you're mine, I love you no matter what. And so Peter's reminding these Christians who are struggling that they are loved. Why? Why would he take this moment, kind of near the end of his letter, to just remind these struggling, these suffering, these persecuting, persecuted followers of Jesus that they're loved? He doesn't really tell us why he calls them beloved, but I have a hunch. And here's my hunch. Sometimes when we suffer we can wonder or question if God loves us. Some Christians have a false thinking that if I'm suffering, it must be because, because God doesn't love me. Or if I'm not suffering, then God must love me. That's a false thinking as a follower of Jesus. Why is it a false thinking? Because of what the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, verses 35 and 37, Paul writes this. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. And all these things we are more than conquerors through him, Christ, who loved us. And so I just wonder if maybe some of these Christians who are suffering and struggling that Peter's writing to are beginning to question or wonder if God really loves them. And so I love that God puts this here. He says, hey, beloved, I love you in the same way that I love my son Jesus. Love you the same way. Just because you're suffering, it doesn't mean that I've stopped loving you. I love you. And so I think Peter wants us to remember that. How do you keep moving forward for Jesus when you're suffering because of him? Just remember that the Father loves you. You remember that you are loved. And the same and with the same unconditional love that he loves his, loves his son. 
the Father loves you. And then the next part of verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So Peter says, listen, Christians who are sure, you're loved. The Father loves you. And also remember that this suffering that you're experiencing, it has a purpose. It has a purpose. It proves your faith. The suffering that you're experiencing is intended to prove that your faith is genuine. This fiery trial literally means when it comes to burn away, when, it, when it's used to burn away those things that maybe you're trusting or relying on that aren't from God or that aren't Christ. Now, to help us understand what Peter says here in verse, verse 12, I think we need to go back to chapter 1 and look at verses 6 and 7 because it's very, what, what Peter said in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 is very similar to what he says here in 4, verse 12. And so go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. And I think this will help us understand a little bit what, what Peter's meaning here. In chapter 1, verse 6, he writes, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter's saying, listen, there's a trial, there's a test, there's a suffering that you're experiencing, and it has a purpose so that your faith can be proven genuine. That it can be proven genuine. So that you can really realize, am I fake? Am I just performing this Christian thing, or am I really a follower of Jesus? And that's his point, that the suffering is intended to prove that you are a true follower of Jesus. And he uses this gold and fire illustration, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Now, here's a little, little understanding about how they test if gold is genuine or not. They put it in fire. Real gold, when the fire gets hotter... Real gold gets brighter. False gold, fool's gold, things like maybe copper or brass, when the fire gets hotter, they get darker. So you can tell the difference between real gold and fake gold by when it's tested by fire, real gold gets brighter. And he's saying this suffering that you might experience because you follow, follow Jesus, it's going to prove something about you. If that faith that you say you have in Jesus is really real or not. John Piper, Bible teacher, author, had this to say about these, these words of Peter. He says, God hates sin so much and loves his children so much that he will spare us no pain to rid us of what he hates. So suffering is not surprising. It is planned. It is a testing. It is purifying fire. It proves and strengthens real faith, and, it cons and I love this, and it consumes performance faith. So I think Peter's reminding them, listen, you need to remember that when you were walking or you were tested by fire, the fire of suffering, you're loved by the Father. And this suffering has a purpose, and its purpose is to prove, to test that your faith in Jesus is real or not. And sometimes the only way for you to know is to be tested by fire. And so how do you know, 
right? I mean, I read that and go, so, okay, so how do I know then if the faith I have is real or not? How does suffering prove that my faith is genuine? I think Peter's going to answer that in the next couple verses. He continues, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. He's saying that, listen, when suffering comes, it's going to reveal something about you. It's going to reveal whether or not you have the true spirit of God. You have the spirit of God living inside you. It will expose that. It will expose your heart. And he's saying, suffering, he says, rejoice. How do you rejoice in suffering? How does suffering prove that your faith is genuine? I think this is Peter's train of thought, so track this with me. If you're suffering because you follow Jesus, and in that suffering there's moments when you experience a supernatural love, a joy that you can't explain, a supernatural peace, a patience, kindness, a self-control that you just can't, you know it's not coming from you, you know it's not natural, but somehow you're experiencing that. It doesn't mean that you're still not grieving or you're not sad or there still isn't pain, but somehow in those moments, you're experiencing something supernatural that you can't explain. That's evidence that you have the Spirit of God living in you. And in that moment when you experience that, that should trigger, that's the Spirit of God, which means then I'm truly a follower of God, which means, yes, I can rejoice. Does that make sense? I think that's what Peter's saying here. And sometimes the only way for us to experience that is through fire. It's through the deep water of suffering. And that's how suffering proves that our faith is genuine. Because there are moments as if you truly have the Spirit of God in you, you will experience a supernatural peace and comfort. And there will be moments when you'll be like, God, this is hard, but use this to make much of you. How, where does that come from? That can only come from something that God himself puts in you, to have that kind of perspective on your suffering. And the real test of whether or not you're a follower of Jesus is not if you said a prayer when you were little, but that you have the Spirit of God living inside you. That's the real test. Do you see evidence of the Spirit in your life? And we know that that's the true indicator of whether you're a follower of God because Paul says in Romans 8, if you have the Spirit dwelling in you, then you are Christ's, he says. And so I think Peter's just kind of rehashing what Paul's written as well. And he's saying, listen, how does suffering prove that your faith is genuine? It will expose whether or not you really have the Spirit of God living in you or not. And if you truly have the Spirit of God in you, he's going to give you what you need when you need it. And that's what he's saying here. One of, how do you keep moving forward for Jesus when you're suffering because of him? You just remember that you've got the Spirit of God resting on you, and he will strengthen you when you need it. I remember when our kids were little and we might go to, let's say, a baseball game or an amusement park or someplace where you needed paper tickets. Right? They don't do paper tickets anymore, right? It's all on your phone. But back in the olden days, all right, we actually had to like go purchase and they would give you a paper ticket, right? And so I'd get the tickets when the kids were little. Would I give the tickets to the kids when they were little, like hours before? Absolutely not. No way. Because there'd be no way they'd have those tickets when they needed them. I left my ticket in the bathroom. I threw it away or I ate it, whatever it might be, okay? 
But I would hold on to that ticket so when they got to the gate and they needed to go through the gate, they had what they needed at the moment they needed it. Right? And so I'd have that paper ticket and I'd say, here you go. Now you hand that to the attendant and then you go through the gate. Listen, the Spirit will give you what you need at the moment you need it to get through. And when you experience what the Spirit gives you to get through, you rejoice because that just confirms that you are God's and He has you. Peter continues. Verse 15 through 18, he says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And then he quotes Proverbs eleven thirty one 31 here. He says, If the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So Peter's reminding us, you're beloved. Remember that the Father loves you. Remember that your suffering has a purpose. It's meant to prove that your faith is genuine, that you're real and not a fake. And you remember that the Spirit of God is on you and he'll strengthen you. He'll give you what you need. Before I go into verses 15 through 18, we often quote 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when we're suffering, right? When Paul says, quoting Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you and made perfect in weakness. That's really said in the context of experiencing suffering because you follow Jesus and his teachings. But I think that can be applied to any suffering, that truth in principle. But Paul says that this in that verse, in those verses, he says, because the power of Christ is resting on me. Same kind of phrasing that Peter uses, the Spirit of Christ resting on you. There is something that God himself will give you in that moment when you need it. And then he keeps moving, Peter keeps moving through this, and he says, the Spirit of God will be on you, he will strengthen you, the power of Christ will give you what you need when you need it. And then he says this, he, in, in these next few verses, verses 15 through 18, you see him contrasting two different kinds of people, Right? He says, but none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, and then you look at verse 17, for it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. But what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And then in verse 18, the righteous, and then you have the ungodly and the sinner. He's contrasting two different kinds of people and two different kinds of suffering. And I think what he's saying, both are going to suffer. If you're following Christ, there's going to be moments when you suffer. And if you're not a follower of Christ, you're going to experience suffering too. And he's saying, listen, just make sure that you're not suffering because you're not following Christ. Because you're not a Christian. Because you're going to experience suffering as a follower of Jesus, he says. He's describing two types of people, but the suffering that you experience as a follower of Christ is not punishment for your sins. The punishment for your sins was taken by Jesus Christ on the cross. So when you experience suffering as a follower of Jesus, it is not punishment, it is purifying. It's meant to purify you and perfect your faith and burn away those things that maybe you're trusting in in that moment other than Christ. But as a follower of Christ... Paul said there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, you might be experiencing consequences for choices that you make as a Christian, for sinful choices. You might experience consequences, but that's not punishment. That's discipline. There's a difference. It's correction. 
to get you back focused on Jesus. And so Peter's contrasting two different kinds of people, the Christian who suffers and the non-Christian who suffers. And then he quotes Proverbs 11.31 to kind of prove his point. And his point is this, that if as a, as a Christian you experience suffering, just imagine the suffering of those who don't know Christ. Just imagine the suffering for those who, who aren't Christians and the suffering they're going to experience this experience. And so to help us understand, I think, a little bit what Peter's saying here, go with me to something Paul said in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. I think this will help us a little bit in understanding what Peter's meaning here. Paul writes, 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9. It says, In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Same kind of words that Peter uses, right? Those who do not obey the gospel of God. Paul is describing the same kind of people, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Verse 9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And so I think Peter's saying the same thing here, just maybe in a little different words. He's saying you need to remember that, yes, the suffering that you're experiencing is hard. It is painful. But be thankful that you're a follower of Jesus and he has rescued you from the greater suffering to come hell. This suffering is hard, it hurts, it's painful, but it's not hell. And he's reminding them, I think, listen, it's hard, it hurts, it's painful, but be thankful that you have a Savior who's rescued you from the greater suffering to come. For it is time for judgment, he says, begin at the household of God, a purifying kind of suffering to get our attention back on Jesus. And if he begins with us, meaning if Christians are going to suffer, just imagine those who aren't Christians and the suffering they're going to experience. And then he says this in verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now, whenever you see a therefore, what do we do? We find out what it's there for. Right? Whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, in the Bible, you find out what it's there for. So what is this therefore, therefore? Well, you've got to look back to find out what the therefore is there for. And what Peter's saying is therefore, meaning if you're a Christian, you're suffering because you follow Jesus. That's what he's referring to. He's referring back to what he's just said. This point that if you're suffering... And your suffering is because you're a follower of Jesus and you are following his teachings and you're experiencing suffering and persecution and pain and hardship. Listen, and he says, let those who suffer according to God's will, right? He's talking about Christians here. Who are, they're experiencing persecution and heartache and hardship because they follow Jesus and his teachings. He, he just says, just entrust your souls to the faithful creator and you just keep living in obedience to Jesus. You just entrust your soul to the faithful creator while doing good. And that word entrust has this idea of like a, like a deposit. Most of us, I'm assuming, when you get paid, you put your money where? In a bank. Most. Some of you, maybe it's still under the bed. I don't know. Pillow, whatever. But you put it in a bank. Why do you put it there? 
are trusting that it's safe. If something were to happen to your money, the bank's going to make good on it and all these different things, right? You, you're, you're banking on the fact that this deposit that you're placing is, is going to be safe. And I think what Peter's saying here is this. Your soul could not be in a safer place and with a more trusted person than the God who made you sent his son to die for you. And so no matter what happens to you, he's got you. He's got you. So you just keep entrusting your life, your soul with the God who created you in his image and then sent his son to rescue you out of your sin. He will hold you. He will carry you. He's the life jacket. He is. You just put him on, right? You just, you, if, and if he's got you, it's on him to hold you up. And I love what, what Peter says here. It's not entrust your soul to your faithfulness of doing good, but to your faithful creator. You trust in his faithfulness to hold you up, not yours. Your confidence is not in you to get through it. Your confidence is in the God who made you to get you through it. Romans 8.32, wonderful verse. And it says something like this. If God was willing to put his son on the cross to get you, then he's going to give you what you need to get you through. If he's willing to go to that length in order to have you as his child, then you better bank on the fact that he will give you what you need in the moment to get you through the hard time, to get you through the suffering. As you continue to live in obedience to him. So when you're in the deep water of suffering and you're starting to panic, starting to flail your arms, your heartbeat's going fast, and you're wondering, am I drowning here? Remember, you've got the life jacket on. you got Jesus. And remember that the Father loves you. Remember that the suffering you're experiencing has a purpose. It's to prove your faith. Remember that if you are God's, then you have his spirit in you, and he will give you what you need when you need it to get you through. And remember that, yes, this suffering is hard. It's painful. It hurts. But you just rejoice in knowing that you have a Jesus who rescued you out of a greater suffering to come, the suffering of eternal destruction in hell. And you just keep banking on your creator, the one who made you, the one who loves you, the one who sent his son to die for you because he will hold you up when you enter the deep water. So, what's the spirit of God saying to you this morning? Maybe he wants you to see that you've been playing a game and you're just performing and you're not really a follower of Jesus. And so he's using that this morning to call out your name and say, turn to me. Trust me. Surrender to me. Maybe he just wants you to remember that he's living inside you and he'll give you what you need when you need it to get through the gate. Maybe he just wants you to rejoice in knowing that you have a creator who came for you, who loves you, who died for you, and has rescued you from a greater suffering. Maybe it's just to remember that 
he's got you. You can trust him. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes on you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator.